I'm Rebecca, and I'm a Pearl slash Moody. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Lexi slash Izzy. I'm Teresa, and I'm just Moody, and this is the book club episode of Big Little Podcast about Celeste Ng's Little Fires Everywhere. We're going to be talking about the book versus the show. We're going to be spoiling everything, so hopefully you've read and watched both. Um, So let's start with some of the differences in the book that we didn't dive too deep into while watching the show. Um, For me, one of the major issues with the adaptation was Mia's character. I think obviously anyone who's been listening to this podcast knows that we've complained about her a lot. In the book, we've sort of agreed Rebecca and Carolyn, Carolyn's just finished the book, everybody. So as more of an objective, she's more of an objective observer. We even find out that she's kind of asexual. Um, She's never had sex other than with that baster that uh, (laughs) that produced produced baby Pearl. So which version of Mia is more believable as a character? Carolyn, what do you think since you just finished the book? Okay, so first of all, I loved the book. Uh, as much as I disliked the series, I loved this book and saw great merit in it and can understand why they thought that, you know, this was worthy of a series. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that really made me like the book was that all the characters were so much more likable. Mm -hmm. I I mean, obviously Elena Richardson is still just kind of a bitch, but there, I, I just felt like you had a lot more, um, insight into them and Mia was so much softer and uh, and and I just had a much richer understanding of who she was and kind of where she came from. Uh, I, I would argue, uh, just jumping really quickly, that it's less that the characters are likable and more that they're not as dislikable as the show. Like fair, uh, yeah. Like, there's nobody in the book that you really, besides Mia, who really is your conduit and Izzy to some degree, but. You know, it's not like any of these characters are like, I would love like for this person to be my new literary best friend. But it's not like the television show where they are, you know, some of the stuff that Mia does in the television show, there's just like, there's no way you can like this character after that. And that never happens in the book. Right. So I think if the characters, it would be so unreadable if it was as it was in the series. Yes. And, and I think that, yes, um, they aren't necessarily likable, but they were... They, they were much more so, like, for example, uh, when Lexi has the abortion and goes to Mia's apartment, the mm-hmm. way that Mia treated her yes. so tenderly and supportively. And uh, it was like what I wanted to happen in the show and was appalled with what did happen and how she reacted. And uh, I, uh, I just think there were so many different even the character of Lexi I found to be um kind of a more rounded a more well well well-rounded character and what about Trip like Trip has like got a whole growth that you don't really get as much of yeah show like you really do root for Trip by the end of it you're like yeah he is the right fit for Pearl it's not moody it is true I mean like I felt that so much Mm -hmm. more strongly in the book than I did in the television show it was funny because, you know, having watched the series, I didn't even picture those people when yeah. I read this book. Um, that they, they were not even the same people at all. Like, in my mind, I created... That's really interesting. 
Yeah. yeah. So Big Little Lies, though, it was interesting because for the most part, I really saw those characters like yeah. in my mind as I was reading it. But with and this, that made it kind of jarring. I thought reading it, like I was trying to like align the descriptions in the book that were very different from the characters that played them on t- the actors that played exactly. them on television. Whereas this, like, you can totally make that jump. And in Big Little Lies, they talk about the blonde bobs all the time, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, does it, Reese Witherspoon has a blonde bob? Like, what are they talking about? But Madeline Martha McKenzie, like, is described as a little bit, like, frumpier and yeah. tackier in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was harder but, to wrestle with. But Little Fires yeah. Everywhere, like, the characters are so different the way they're portrayed that I do think your mind's eye, it's not that difficult to imagine them as other than, you know, what you've seen them on television as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would just, if... If anyone hasn't uh, watched the series yet, I would say read the book. And if you have watched the series, read the book. Um, and, and don't bother with the series, really. Um, I think I really th- felt like the book had was very well written, incredibly like thought-provoking, like just a, a really enjoyable read. So I totally get how Reese Witherspoon, you know, found this book, came upon this, however she did. And thought, like, wow, this would make a really good TV series. But she was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And in reading it, if I was going, if I was handed this book and was told to give some sort of, like, Hollywood treatment to it, I would have definitely thought, like, maybe this, you know, maybe this could work. But uh, I would have just focused on so many different aspects. Um, like the kids, which we've been talking about in the series, which were who were such great actors, and even though they weren't what I was picturing in this, they really could have done it. I really think that the whole series should have taken a whole different angle and focused much more on the kids, like how the book does. The kids are what take us through. And they also, you know, they depart from the storyline in some ways that just, I mean, as you sort of alluded to, make them a lot less likable and almost across the board, right? Because... Yeah. Uh Um, you know, Rebecca and I were kind of tossing thoughts back and forth that we didn't include uh, Carolyn on because she was still reading the book and we didn't want to ruin anything for her. (laughs) And one of the things, um, Rebecca brought up is that like, even BB sort of re-entering Mailing's life is, makes her seem more deranged in the in the show than it does in the book where in the book like she just kind of goes over to the house on a whatever day and is knocking on the door and she's like no one would come to the door to talk to me and she's upset about that whereas in the show she's like screaming in. In, the, yeah, <laughs> in the middle of her birthday party and so she's just like this lady trying to like claw this baby back and someone who is arguably one of the most sympathetic characters in the story even then you're sort of like uh i don't know this lady might be crazy and shouldn't maybe be around children you know Um, i mean i get it this is a very subtle mm -hmm. book like the characters are nuanced you're not dealing with these highs and lows i imagine that it was quite easy for a writer's room to be like we need to inject more drama into this show and i totally get Mm -hmm. that they needed to raise the stakes and they did so in several ways but i think what they did was they raised the stakes too high to the point where Mm -hmm. it just wasn't believable conditions anymore the characters weren't believing 
you know, acting in a believable way. Mm -hmm. They weren't speaking in a believable way. I think, you know, the more I thought about the treatment of Brian and I went back and looked at the way Brian was handled in the book, I think they were trying to put way too much weight on a teenage boy to kind of explain the racial component that, you know, they added in the show. Mm -hmm. And that was not at all what the Brian character was. You know, Brian was more of like a, a trip in the book than he was like this, you know, pillar of wokeness that he is in the show, which I don't I did think... love that he called his parents Cliff and Claire, yeah. like the Huxtables. <laughs> um, I mean, my biggest concern in reading this and then reflecting on it after and thinking about the show and, you know, how they got from point A to point B here was really like, what the hell were they thinking with Mia? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. got to go back to that. Let's <laughs> like that is so concerning to me that it somehow I don't know if like Reese Witherspoon was involved in the conception of this where they decided they were going to take this book and transform it into this like almost like cat fight. Between I smell some two bad white mothers. feminism here. I hate to say it, but it, it really it is... does smell like that <laughs> well it but the thing so is bizarre carrie um carrie washington is an executive producer like she helped bring this story right to life like you know it seems like the writer the you know the showrunner and the writers were also involved in that decision but um although i can't imagine it, it had to be like reese witherspoon and carrie washington being like we're gonna do a show you have to write this character as black so she can play so she can play it you know yeah I, know. I was wondering if this was something like they'd been like oh let's find a project we can do together this right. wasn't it they just I mean I read I fully read the book thinking that Mia was black like and I haven't gone back and kind of revisited it like it, she doesn't really make it clear but it's I, I think you would the assumption would be she's not black but it's not like it's really explicitly stated so I can understand they don't explicit they don't explicitly state it, but there are some things that I think because Celeste Ng says that she left it, you know, ambiguous yeah. in the book. But I don't I don't think that's true at all. Like uh -uh. they they do describe her as having green eyes and Pearl okay. is having a long, dark braid. And her first her brother is like, a, you know, a good old boy in Pennsylvania who likes to go hunting and plays hockey. Like, sorry. That's yeah. Not and also when they're at the abortion clinic. Lexi right. says that this is her sister and oh, Pearl yeah. says like, mm -hmm. oh, well, we don't really look alike, right. but it See, does, I it took doesn't... that again. as like, oh, is it because like she's, you know, it's my sister. Like, you know, she's adopted. She's my girlfriend. You know, I, I don't know. I, it just wasn't as apparent to me. So it didn't strike me as crazy that they would go there racially with the television series. Mm -hmm. I just think the way they went about it was so heavy handed that it made what mm -hmm. should have been like a really interesting wrinkle to the story that made the story the television series its own and improved on the source material. It really, I think, corrupted the rest of it and made it difficult to watch because they ruined what was, you know, a really sympathetic, interesting character into this sort of, you know, caricature of a pissed off, angry black woman. Which we just, the media doesn't need any more of that. I can't imagine <laughs> that the author really felt that this, I, I, if I had written this book, and it is, it is beautifully written and has. It is beautifully written. That cannot be understated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to see the way that it was transformed, like, how does she feel about this really? I would be interested. Um, and I know that she did work on the show at you know she did some advising and that she actually is in that we found out that she is in the scene the book club scene mm -hmm. but 
I don't know. I just feel like this was this was wild to me. I I mean, it would be like taking you know, I, I, I can't even think. It's like taking a Jane Austen book and turning it into a Mad Max movie. It almost is like <laughs> it it is it was that's how wild of a jump this was to me. You know, one of the other things I claim I sort of complained about during the show was that I thought they made Izzy just seem nuts instead of like a kid who was just, you know, misunderstood. Right. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, one of the things she does in retaliation to the teacher that we, um, you know, this part's in the book where she kind of yells at the teacher for mistreating another student where... Um, And her retaliation in the book is that she, with the help of Moody and Pearl, put toothpicks in every lock on every door in the school so that (laughs) it can't open, which I just think is so Which then causes that orchestra teacher to pee herself. Yes, she pees herself all over the the bathroom (laughs) Because she didn't want to use a student bathroom. Yes. She, I mean, she just seems so awful and she seems like, and she's a teacher that, you know, we all had who was just like an asshole Mm -hmm. for no reason. But in the show, like all her sort of expressions of rebellion are just like terrible and annoying, like her cabbage patch, her mixed race cabbage patch sale. How did you feel about the portrayal of Izzy specifically? So... I think Izzy is the one character where it's interesting to me because I I do I think in some ways the translation from book to movie for her I mean from book to show for her mm-hmm. was kind of the most uh, like on brand but mm-hmm. I think the show again because the show just needed to make everything more salacious and like up the ante it it did her even dirtier. Because obviously, like, in the book, I mean, Izzy is certainly problematic and um, is very responsible for burning down her family's house and mm-hmm. is very much, uh, you know, we kind of learn also more about that uh, Elena had a very difficult pregnancy with her and that she was born prematurely and um, all this stuff that kind of made you understand that relationship between them more. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting that that was that kind of changed the way I saw their their relationship yeah I mean I think she was definitely better off in the book um but of all the sort of of everyone who got screwed over in this process I think Izzy probably comes out the best despite looking kind of unhinged in the beginning Uh you still you still like her the story the backstory they give her that is not in the book is that she's a lesbian it adds something without adding too much, without muddying the waters too much, um, mm-hmm. like they did with the Mia storyline, I think. Um, Rebecca, I what also, do you think? I think that my biggest problem with the Izzy thing is that it's more to do with the dynamic between Izzy and Elena and the way they've changed that. So in the book, mm-hmm. it's more that Elena is mad that Izzy is not conforming to her idea of like a nuclear family unit, and she wants her family to be closer not like she's resentful Mm -hmm. of Izzy because she didn't want a fourth child 
Like, mm-hmm. I thought that mm-hmm. the way they changed that, it made, first of all, it undercut, like, the whole character of Elena, who's supposed to be this really, like, family-driven, family-centered person, and made it, like, okay, mm-hmm. she's family-focused, except she hates this one specific kid, because three was cool, but four wasn't. Whereas in the book, it was, like, she really wanted the full family, she wanted Izzy, like, Izzy was very much, like, a part of mm-hmm. her conception of family, whereas in the television show, they changed that, so, like, Izzy's this outsider, and then mm-hmm. it makes the, like, you know, the, her ignoring the mental health aspect of it all the more egregious that, you know, Izzy is spiraling and burning her hair off and nobody's thinking, like, this kid needs counseling. It, it just, again, like, I think this comes up to, like, they wanted to raise the stakes for television, but they didn't build enough of a story around it. So it just feels like everything is more extreme than it needs to be. And that stops it from being believable. I thought Izzy was presented in such an interesting, nuanced way in the book you know, I don't I don't want to say that she didn't have some sort of mental health thing going on in the book, too, but it was done in a way that I think is a lot more relatable and a lot more believable for a child of her age mm-hmm. than how it was Yeah, she didn't burn off her hair right. in the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not to say that, like, teenagers don't do crazy shit like that, but, like, it just didn't feel earned at that stage in the television show. It was just more like, okay, Izzy's the crazy, unhinged child, and her mother hates her because she wanted three children, not four. Like, it just, I don't know. It's reductive after a certain point. And the book was so powerful because it resisted being reductive the whole time. Like, at every turn, when you expected it to get more salacious or more dramatic, it, it didn't. It eased off. Like, I think Celeste Ning's, Ning's strongest suit of a writer is that she knows when to put her foot off the gas. And mm-hmm. Agreed. It, the pacing was just so beautiful because it kept you engaged. Yeah. But it didn't, it, it, it wasn't like... It's elegiac in a way. Like, it keeps you engaged, but it's not like, you know, it's a cliffhanger every end of every chapter. It was more like a rumination on this family that you wanted to continue reading. I I just thought she she writes beautifully. Yeah, it had that feeling of, like, watching another family, like, through the window. Like, you're outside and, like, you're just watching. A real American family with, you know, the ups and downs and nuances in the drama, but, like, believable. Yeah, and there's something, like, really beautiful about that kind of, like, voyeurism. And then when you have that narrative where you get some of that, the perspective and the backstory and things like the that. The outsider looking in. And that's what Mia was. And, you know, somebody kind of peering into this world as opposed to, like, the Mia of the television show, which is, like, I'm going to actively blow up every relationship in this world <laughs> for really no reason, just because she's mad. Like, she doesn't have any sort of, like, reason to be vindictive. Yeah, I love that, like, Mia kind of learn things about the family just you know like she saw like the condom wrappers in the trash so she knew that Lexi was sleeping with the boyfriend you know uh and and that Mm -hmm. how open she was with Izzy and uh which obviously like in the show you know she if she is connected with any character it was Izzy but it still felt very painful I mean, it was just so nice to experience the Mia character without Carrie Washington sucking on a lemon ass face this whole time. <laughs> what um, did you think about Mia's backstory, too? The differences between the Pauline relationship? I mean, that that was wildly different in the books. Very different. Um, and just, again, like, the whole book was just so much more tender. Yeah. Everything everything is softer. Uh, and it, the whole relationship with Pauline just felt, like, so nurturing for her. Because it was made very clear that, you know, she was this young woman who needed that connection, having, 
like you know not having that kind of connection with her parents she had that connection with that other the the photographer the old man in her neighborhood i mean the backstory was much more interesting and uh it didn't feel like you were building up the anger behind this character or this like uh you were just kind of getting the understanding of like who supported her and how she how she came to these circumstances like who supported her and where she fell short and then how she got here it wasn't like these very contrived flashback episodes that we had that were just painful for me to watch where i just did not care and they also sort of expand the mia and bb comparison in the book right they um Mm -hmm. There's the part where she's, I think, living in San Francisco and Pearl's a newborn and the neighbor lady comes over and offers to help when the baby won't stop crying and she brings her food and she, you know, she's the support system that BB didn't have that allowed her to keep going. I don't know what the right words are. It's sort of um, that episode, the, um, what was it, 75 cents or whatever, what was that, 70 yeah, cents? 75, yeah, where, 70 cents, yeah. BB is treated differently when she doesn't have 70 cents versus how Izzy is treated differently when she doesn't have 70 cents, which is almost sort of like this comparison in the book. But, you know, we see Celeste Ng's prowess as a writer in her ability to do this without beating us over the head with right. it and not without being... titling a chapter 70 cents and being like, at the beginning of <laughs> right. this chapter, one character will get mm-hmm. denied something. And at the end, another character won't. And guess what? It's about race. <laughs> like, it just. Yeah. <laughs> It got exhausting, and the book just shied away from that at every opportunity. Like, it, it really could have mm-hmm. been heavy-handed and chose not to be, and that parallel that you just described, Teresa, is perfect. It also, I think, mm-hmm. helped you as a reader, as a, you know, as a voyeur into this world, understand why Mia cared about BB in a way that the television show didn't bother to do. And the television show is just like Mia has seen something she perceives to be an injustice because she feels, I guess, some type of way about Pearl. So she's going Mm -hmm. to blow up BB's life. And I do think it was good that the show had BB kind of acknowledge that and be like, I didn't ask for this. Because they had to do that work because it did seem so extreme. Whereas in the book, like, it made sense that, you know, Mia was looking out for BB's best interests without it being like, you know, this is Mia's hill she's going to die on. Yeah, and she doesn't, you know, there's not a scene where she's trying to steal the baby where you're just like, you know, and because of the way Bibi then goes about, like, trying to reintroduce herself into the life of Mailing, you don't find it as sort of off the wall. And even, like, Mia doesn't pay for her lawyer in this, in in the book. Ed Lim, the hot lawyer you guys were thirsting after in the last episode, are... uh, he, he does it pro bono. She doesn't have to pay anybody anything. So it's, you know, it's just everything is so much, it's brought down a level, which elevates it a level. It's exactly, it's really, exactly. Yeah. And even down to that painting, mm-hmm. like the fact that the, or the photograph, mm-hmm. that the photograph is of Pearl and Mia, and mm-hmm. it was something that was taken after while she was with them, as opposed to like this sort of voyeuristic mm-hmm. picture of her pregnant in the bathtub after she's hooked up with her professor for the first time. And now, I do think it was a little inexplicable that they would be like in the museum in Shaker mm-hmm. Heights, Ohio, and see that photograph there. So I think like it was it's smart the way that the show fixed that, but 
changing the photograph itself, like if you're going to change the delivery of how they find it, why would you also change the context of the picture and the whole backstory? That This is, I think, my biggest problem with it is I understand some of the choices that maybe didn't land, but I can't understand mm-hmm. certain choices like Pauline. Like why did they think right. that was necessary? Why did they think it was necessary to show that scene of Mia banging the random guy in episode three at the beginning? Like uh, those were the mm-hmm. choices that I just didn't understand how that was advancing the story, how that wasn't telling us something new, how that was giving us more insight into the character. It cheapened the character, if anything, and I don't... That's where I struggle the most with the television mm-hmm. series is that, like, some of the choices just feel so far afield. It was just like, well, we should change something just because it needs to be changed. See, I loved that the photo was, like, yeah. the virgin mm-hmm. mother and child. And uh, I, I was shocked that they chose to change that because I loved that image in my head. And I wasn't bothered that they found it in an art museum because it seemed, that seemed practical to me from like an art, the art world standpoint that a, uh, you know, a photographer that, uh, you know, had a, a pretty good, uh, like pretty good yeah. reach. That's, that, that their work would end up in an art museum in like a second, you know, a second tier city. That seems like pretty probable. But if they're going to make that change, why would they then change the whole background of it? Like, make one change. There's no need to do that. That's what confused me so much with this. In reading this book the whole time, I was like, oh, well, this is so much better. So I was dreading, thank goodness you both had said, like, oh, no, the book is, you know, you had said the book was better. Because honestly, if this book had been like this series, like I, this would have been punishment. Like when we started watching the show, I was I like, mean, this I is just a classic argument for why, you know, everyone always says, oh, the book is better than the TV show or the movie. But in this case, it's just, I don't think they would have ever been able to capture the subtleties that Celeste Ng is able to provide in the source text. So I get, you know, why they reacted the way they did and tried to swing the other way. It just wasn't necessarily successful. But I do think... I, 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 as we all said, I, I can understand why Reese Witherspoon would read this book and be like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is the same sort of, you know, familial community drama like Big Little Lies is so successful. Like, I can see how that formula would transfer. But the way those texts are written, like if we want to compare the way Leanne Moriarty wrote Big Little Lies versus the way Celeste Ng wrote Night and Day, mm-hmm. like you can't adapt them the same way. Like they're just totally different forms of writing. The, the way the stories are framed are different. The approach is different the protagonist structures are different I, it's just not I, it, it checked some boxes in terms of like yes you've got families yes you've got pretty affluent people that are, are I mean like uh, but in terms of the mechanism of the story forget it this book could have been adapted into a very nice movie kept it tight really focused on the kids take trying to take it into a long form was part of the big mistake here. And I also think the big mistake was right right away, right from marketing, like we talked about this, they marketed this to Big Little Lies fans in so many ways and how they presented it in trailers, yeah. in mm-hmm. uh, things that were said, Reese Witherspoon's involvement, everything how this was like set forth. It was packaged to be kind of like, oh, if you like Big Little Lies and you're missing it, here's this. And, but they were trying to like make it something it wasn't and it never needed to be. Part of me wondered if they didn't try and pitch this to HBO and HBO didn't bite. Like I, I thought it was interesting that this was clearly, you know, Hello Sunshine is Reese Witherspoon's production company Mm -hmm. and that had an active role in producing this show. And I, I just, because, you know, they did do 
Big Little Lies at HBO and Nine Perfect Strangers is happening on HBO. I mean, this doesn't have the HBO brand mm-hmm. at all. No, no, it doesn't. Not at all. But I think that maybe that was the intention by them picking this project is that, you know, Reese Witherspoon assumed this was going to be another thing, you know, content is king right now that HBO would snatch up. And I think HBO maybe saw a pilot and was like, mm. Just even knowing, like, what HBO does. This show, the what I really could have seen from this is, like, a Netflix, uh, a Netflix film. I actually think it would have been better longer if they could have got if they could have stuck to the book more and given us more nuance like Mm. maybe every other episode is narrated by a different character and is from a different character's point of view or something that gives us the internal life that we don't normally get when we translate a book to the screen especially or if they had just stuck to the book because the thing that bothers me most about the show is that they just tried to jam everything in they're like we're gonna hit all the hot button topics even if we do it poorly um and and to that note i think it's really interesting that one of the big hot button topics in the books they just decided Mm -hmm. not to talk about was the lewinsky scandal like, that was mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. much, like, a driving force in the book that affected characters' actions. Pearl's got that great line where she says, like, everything... I don't think it was everything smells like sex, but everything was about sex for that one summer that the Lewinsky scandal was going on. And it totally informs her decision to kind of sleep with Trip, somewhat out of the blue. And that, to me, you know, you want to talk about the 90s references and all that, and we're just going to cut out, like, something that was so culturally interesting and is still so culturally relevant, given, you know, the fact that the Clintons are, are household names to this day. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand the choices, why they would cut certain things and then cram in other things that weren't necessary, when, like, to ruminate on the Clinton scandal in 2020 would have been a fascinating comparison that was perfect for this story. And the fact that they didn't touch that is just odd. They missed the opportunity to really heavily root this in a period in the period um i know we talked about all the little 90s references Mm -hmm. and the fun nostalgia Mm -hmm. for us but there was not like a strong you know anchoring that that really like had it responding to the world around it yeah it felt like set dressing instead of this story is a 90s story instead of like motivation and uh kind of how it was really affecting the characters right. and and then changing the world at the time. Yeah, and it also, it's like you could have just given everybody smartphones and this story could have just as easily right. translated to now whereas in the in the book it feels more deeply rooted in the era. Yes. But that's because mm-hmm. it's it's not because of the cultural like oh she's wearing a baby G watch it's because it was like this is mm-hmm. the history of the moment and the characters are addressing it they're not just ignoring it like it's like this a historical world they're living in where nothing permeates Shaker Heights and it's just the drama if that's the case do exactly as Teresa said keep it in the present we don't need to you know indulge all of this '90s nostalgia just because the '90s is hot right now if you're not actually gonna grapple with what it meant to grow up in the 90s which is what appealed to me so much about this show is that you know I I was born in 91 I was really looking forward to kind of some of those cues those things I remember like you know kind of vaguely Mm -hmm. as a little kid like that really was appealing to me and that and I really appreciated the way the book did that and it was just a bummer that they chose to only have the references be style and music that didn't even go that deep like let's be real the music was a kind of a disappointment I think across the board yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's the big takeaway here is that the show was just a disappointment. <laughs> um, I think that, that that sums it up. Uh, so, you know, 
given that, then when you look at this book, which I think is such a success and so, so, so well done, you know, you, you have to look at how it successfully sets a period because in reading it, you really picture the 90s, you yep. taste the 90s, you feel it. And it's not just like how, like you said, it's not like they just like superficially no. reference Something There's no superficial that's just references. Like a trend. It just feels like the '90s. The way the story's told feels like the '90s. It's like grounded there. You really feel it. Like this is just encased in that moment, in that time. In fact, in reading it, like I, I really, I kept thinking about like my own high school. Like I was kind of more transported to yep. that time and feeling more '90s nostalgia in reading the book than I was in seeing those little, like, cock teasers of 90s glory (laughs) on the Hulu series. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Mia's art a little bit. Because the end, you know, we kind of complained a little bit about her weird model of Shaker Heights. um, Mm -hmm. And in the book, each of the Richardsons gets their own personalized piece of art from Mia like she leaves it behind in the apartment and when they are all burned out of their house they go to the apartment and they each get um a picture and so if you for some reason if you haven't read the book or if you forgot about it by now one is um a picture of the the slip from the abortion clinic has been cut up and then woven into a net and then there's a rock in it and you know we're told that this is supposed to symbolize the weight that Lexi's always going to have to carry and we and trip the the other one i really remember well is oh, trip's I know. I love cracked this. His yep. his chest pad from hockey, I think, is yep. like cracked and there's, you know, flowers and grass growing up through it. And it's supposed to let him know that it's OK to be vulnerable. And then we get the birdcage, right, from Mia. Elena. Um, Elena or Elena, mm-hmm. as the book calls her. You know, she's the one who says, am I the bird or am I the cage? I'm yep. not really sure. And that is the one thing that makes it into the show, that sort of analogy i guess um how did carolyn how did the how did that strike you i mean again it just was a completely different mia Mm -hmm. like obviously the mia we know from this tv series would not have done this no uh at all and so i i mean and i just i thought that it was uh kind of this like beautiful yet like like appropriately kind of snarky commentary. Well, I don't, I think the, the, I don't even know if it was like snarky. It was just more like the commentary, her observations be what they did. Yes. The Mia in the book Um, is a keen observer of humans and mm -hmm. she's not judging them. And she's trying to let them know, like, here's what I see. And here's what I see from the Mm -hmm. outside. And Um, I guess that's not really like snarky. It's more of this like realism. That's what her art is, is that what, that's what she strives for, is that, like, realism that she captures, that she, what she sees. Because earlier in the book, uh, Elena says to her, like, oh, you could make a mm-hmm. killing being a portrait photographer for weddings and things like that. And I loved how she responded, well, I like to photograph people as I see them, and that would become a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not as they want to be seen. And I I mean, I know photographers who are like that and artists who are like that. And I I always find their photos and pictures are so fascinating because it is how they see the world. And I I loved the the portrayal of the artist that is Mm -hmm. Mia in this book. Like she is a true artist. 
like getting into art like changed her life like just the whole process and description of her coming to her own as an artist and like what inspires her it was I I really enjoyed that like it was its own its own fleshed out little story in itself and um and we it, also understand that she's actually a working artist we know that she's selling her pieces from time to time mm-hmm. and sometimes they go for more and sometimes they go for less and that determines whether or not she has to have a job at that time and instead of just all of a sudden her selling someone else's photo and having like a hundred thousand dollars her art felt like in the show Mia's art feels angry mm-hmm. I mean obviously she's angry but her art is like an attack it's not it, it is how she sees the world and how she sees a moment and how she sees a person but it's like an attack mm-hmm. in this it's more of like an observe it there it's it's observational it, it's it's beautiful it, it's like a reflection mm-hmm. and it may not be the way the person is like sees themselves and their reflection but it's done you know it's done to do that and I loved and again it was crazy that a book could give you a visual sense Mm -hmm. like you know in this in the show in the last episode during the credits we see her shitty portfolio (laughs) of photographs in this book like you're left with these like images this concept of her creating really beautiful art that's like sustainable for her to make a career off of to be inspiring to be like thought-provoking so it was like interesting. So in the book, I found the quote. She does these portraits, and she calls them half portraits, half wishes caught on paper, like catching a glimpse of your own naked mm. body in a mirror, which is just like such a, a lovely mm. way to think about yourself and the way an artist looks at a subject and the way she picks. You know, so for Moody, she does uh, she wrinkled pages of a notebook that he gave Pearl that she forms into origami birds and that ties into Elena's birdcage I mean I just think that like it's Mm -hmm. so much more nuanced and that wouldn't have been hard to replicate on the show why did we have to get this weird flower dusted model diorama that wasn't very good that looked like Gordon's train set from little big little lies (laughs) why did we need that when it would have been so much easier just to have the four different five different because she does one of her bills too she does one I think with his metal collar fasteners or something i think it would have Mm -hmm. just tied it up so much nicely so much better and i don't get it like this is this is where i struggle so much like i truly don't understand a writer's room sitting around and saying instead of this beautiful scene in the book where each character is acknowledged and their growth is acknowledged and it really wraps up the whole story in a nice bow throw that all away and instead let's just hit the race thing one more time in case the audience didn't get it and what is it telling us it was at the end of the day what did that tell us the show wanted to create a villain. This book is pretty free of a villain. There is conflict. And it's the kind of conflict that we all face in, in, in day-to-day life or faced growing up and faced with your family and with your, you know, community and all of this. But, like, it's like this show set forth to be like, all right, we're going to need villains. We're going to need suspects. We're going to need all these things that are, that just make you feel like you have higher stakes. But it... It just is so unwarranted because that doesn't exist in this world that was beautifully created and crafted that didn't need that. We didn't need that kind of, we didn't need that kind of excitement for this to be a real page turning story. It was like they thought that we wouldn't sit and watch something that was like a slow burn. You know, they needed to give us like 
flames poking in our faces <laughs> but like this the, the the slow burn of this book was actually so much more exciting i also think the ending of the show is sort of and i think this happens a lot and it may be totally justified that like people underestimate their audience and so in the show they had to find a way to make sure that the audience who was watching would understand the art and then but also still kind of explain it to him right that's what Pearl's poem is doing to some degree like mm -hmm. am I the bird or am I the cage which we get in the book but we get it as part of Elena's thoughts and it feels much more um, earned because she's she's honestly never considered this before today when her life is burning down around her like she's finally like oh wait a minute like maybe I've been trapped in this the whole time too and Izzy's smart for trying to get out of here but um in the show they have to like find ways to make sure the audience gets it right yeah, like yeah. They, they have to like beat you over the head with it and so they have to give you this art that is terrible but is easier to understand I guess and then also a poem to explain it to you yeah the poem slayed <laughs> me it's like, if you didn't mm -hmm. get it, shall we just do a little dramatic reading in the car, too? Yes. In uh. a believable prose of a 16-year-old? No. Um, so we're more or less at the end, right, of the book. So let's talk about the ending. Izzy burns down the house, um, yeah. which is still pretty extreme, but makes more sense, yeah. at least to me. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I, I think that, you know, in the show, when Mia, when Izzy shows up at her house and Mia tells her the story about the, um, the prairie fire, mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck is this, like, rambling that she's doing with this kid right now? Like, it just, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, this, and in the book, like, that being these, like, kind of words that fuel this thought process for Izzy, who has already turned to Mia as sort of this, like, little guru to guide her at, like right from from the uh you know telling her what what are you gonna do about it mm -hmm. like what what are you gonna do and getting her to think differently those words like it 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 felt like the right kind of uh you know spark that would make her think that this is what she needs to do to get her family to like change to start anew and for her to start anew Although I did think there was like something nice about in the TV show, her siblings kind of like picking up to help her and finish what she started when she runs out because they are like rallying around, uh, you know, after Elena is like, I never even wanted you. And they're all so appalled mm -hmm. by that, that they just are so moved to do, to take this kind of action. But it just felt like there's no way that like superficial, clothes loving Lexi would be like, let me burn down everything. <laughs> that it felt like a it felt like a bit of a stretch. So it did make more sense for it to be Izzy. I also felt like it made more sense the way Elena was like musing, like, well, she'll come back. We'll we'll find her. The cops will find mm -hmm. her, and it, it'll be okay. Whereas like in the series when Elena was like trying to, you know, she was like looking at the cage and and the feather and being like Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shut up. You fucking don't care where Izzy is right now. So in the book, I also felt like it was a more genuine reaction. Yeah. I felt like this was just another example of they're like, well, everyone that's read the book is going to expect Izzy to be the one to do it. So we should change that. Mm -hmm. And who else would burn down the house? I mean, it wasn't believable that any of the adults would do it. 
BB is more likely to burn down the McCullough's house than she is to burn down Elena's house. So, of course, the other three children are the next easiest candidates, especially if you, you know, have that scene you have with Elena going off and being horrible and saying all those things that I just can't imagine her character actually ever saying. So it, it again, felt like, you know, oh, we want to give a little shock and awe to the book readers out there by completely turning this around. And I think that what the Liz, I can never pronounce her name correctly, the showrunner. It's like Tegler. Tegler, something like that, said that she felt it was really earned with the characters. Mm-hmm. And I really disagree with that. I think the only characters it was maybe earned with are Izzy and Lexi. I don't think there mm-hmm. was enough done with Trip and Moody in the television show to mm-hmm. to have it pay off that they're suddenly going to snap like that and burn their whole house down. Like Trip in the yes. book, I felt like was more likely to burn the house down than Trip in the television show. I was going to say the argument for that is like, you know, Moody The first girl he probably ever loved was Pearl. His brothers stole that from him. And he's the brother who does have that connection with Izzy probably the most. And hearing his mother talk to her like that, I was like, all right. I guess so. I just, I think that if you're going to change stuff like this again, like you need to make a change that is going to permeate all the episodes before it. And I think it would have been really easy to lay the foundation for more of the kids having this extreme reaction than they did. Like, I thought it was sloppy just to say, like, Elena's going to have this outburst and that's going to cause the kids to have this degree of an outburst. Burning down your home? I mean, we cannot, like, (laughs) we can't discredit, (laughs) like, that's a big deal. Like, they burn their house down. When you guys asked me, like, somewhere in the episodes about, like, who do you think is going to set the fire? uh, Because I had, since I hadn't read the book and I was just on the ride with the, the, the series. And now even having read the book and knowing how wild they went from there. And I kept saying this whole time that this series was wild to me. There was a part of me that was like truly convinced and kind of secretly hoping that it was going to be Linda McCullough like snapped because she like lost her baby and had all these like, and she would blame the fact that like, you know, Bill was her lawyer who failed her and Elena had all these babies and kept getting pregnant when she couldn't. And she would just like snap and try to destroy and implode their lives. There was a part of me that really believed that that was going to happen. And if they, the series had wanted to like, you know, really go for it and be as wild from the book as they really actually were, that could have, that could have happened. And I honestly would have felt like it was a more interesting choice. So let's, I've got some questions here that I took from some book club discussions I found on the internet, and I want to, I want to jump into (laughs) these a little bit. Um, So my first, the first question I grabbed from the wisdom of the internet is, um, Elena has spent her life trying to reconcile her desire to fight injustices and her respect for order and rules. She's come to believe that the elite have a responsibility to share their well-being with those less fortunate and consider her and considers herself to be more generous and open-minded. Do you agree? Are we saying this with book (laughs) Elena or television show Elena? First and foremost. Let's answer for both. Let's start with book. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what makes her character interesting is she is very regimented and growing up in Shaker Mm -hmm. has informed her whole identity. She likes rule following, like grasp the right length and all that nonsense. But she does also have this sense of injustice and, and realizes that there are people that are worse off than her that she can stand to help. And I think that her grappling with that and how the rules don't often align with equality. You know, the rules are, are enforced to help white people stay in a position of power. And I think her kind of grappling with that and the fact that they added this racial component to the television show, if they had leaned into that 
that's in you know what is very much present in the book that she has this contrast between wanting to you know fix injustice and follow the rules if they had focused mm-hmm. on that in the context of the racial element they added mm-hmm. to the show it would have been so interesting I agree with Rebecca I think that uh, I th- I think that Elena is one of those characters who essentially like her while her heart may not always be in the right place her mind is and then contrary wise when her mind isn't in the right place her heart is like she she does have a very strong sense of rule following and she does have like a moral compass um and and does genuinely believe that she is doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing she it also seems like the show so transition transitioning into show elena the show sets her up from the beginning to like to not be as concerned about injustice because she immediately calls the cops on people sleeping in the car which Mm -hmm. from like the view we get i'm not even convinced you can see someone sleeping in the car it's just like she sees a crappy car in a parking lot and so she calls the police i don't know and that that to me that always irked me because the elena in the book is so much more right the elena in the Mm -hmm. television show felt like she was you know doing good things just to like feel better about her shitty you know sense of Mm -hmm. self-worth or something whereas like you really did get the sense in the book that elena was trying to figure out the best way to be a moral person in her world and how Mm -hmm. to throw that line between being a law-abiding citizen and being someone that wants to petition and help people that aren't benefited by the law and for the television show to just throw that away and and lean entirely into elena is type a elena is super organized elena only cares about the rules and i think they even did that with the set dressing like to go so extreme with all of the calendars and the post-it notes on the pill bottles i'm like you are reducing this woman to just a caricature of a stressed out hyper organized you know amphetamine seemingly popping woman when you know the book didn't do that it shied away from that it really presented Mm -hmm. her as someone that was grappling with that difficulty yeah, the the show me is so much more. I I mean, the show Elena and every person in the show really is so much more a caricature and an yeah. easier stereotype than anyone in the in the book ever is. So let's let's talk about the next question because it's sort of related. So the next question is during Brown versus Board of Education and the Little Rock Nine, Shaker Heights residents believed that they were smarter, wider, more thoughtful, and forethoughtful than the storm of slurs and spit they saw on TV. Residents came together to firmly encourage integration in an effort to create a world as close to perfection as possible. In contrast, the ca- the custody case tore the town apart. Why do you think that is? Mm, good question. I mean, I think the custody case is not so much a question of, I mean, it is very much a question of race. Let me say that first. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's a question of motherhood and, and viability yes. of a mother. And I think that you could have told the same story if BB was not Chinese. I think it, mm-hmm. it, it makes it mm-hmm. easier to wrap your head around it because, you know, we do have a culture in this country of people adopting Asian children, you know, more so than other children. And I think that, you know, it, to frame that in the context of the 90s when that was something that was happening all the time in a very public way and you were having like this phenomenon of people renaming Asian babies and erasing their former identities so they can become this like anglicized vision that the parents want. I think that that was, I understand why they made that choice. But the way the book framed it, it really was more of a question of what is a mother's role? Who, what makes a mother? Where does that boundary begin and end? How does that work in the context of somebody who was supposed to be a surrogate and then changed her mind? How does that work in the context of someone that couldn't 
handle having their baby, couldn't, you know, give them the best life and gave them up and mm-hmm. then fixed their shit and wanted the baby back. Like that, it was so much more interesting to me than turning it into this, I don't know. That case really is about who is the best mother for this baby, but it makes everyone around the case question like, am I a good mother? What makes me a better mother than right. another mother? Uh, what is motherhood? Like, is it just giving birth to the baby? Or is it, you know, raising that And I think, like, the race too? component, as far as Shaker's concerned, like, Shaker's confused by this, and that's where the question, that's what the question asks. Like, how can they be so, you know, forward-thinking in terms of desegregating and all the things they did during Brown versus Education and all that? How can they be so that way and then have this case tear them apart? And it is because it is asking this question that is... You know, it transcends everything. This idea of motherhood is something that everyone, regardless mm-hmm. of race, creed, religious background, has to grapple with. And it also deals with, you know, financial. Yeah. Like, just because you're rich, does that make it better? Are, are you better because of that? Can you off because you can offer more, is that better? Uh, so there were there are so many, like, hot button topics that are part of this trial that people that are that that would divide people mm-hmm. whereas like something as simple as like mm, do we segregate the schools or integrate them that feels like a very there's just a very clear divide on that you're either yes or no there aren't people who are like well this that and the other you know what i mean uh, this is something where there's a lot more Great. uh there are a lot more layers yeah and i think i think that is what's interesting about the choice to wrap this around this kind of custody case right because um one it bring it makes it personal right it's someone you know is being hurt right whether whether that person is bb or whether that person is um linda richardson it it's personal and it's harder to take that out right like oh well when it's my friend that's different right right but but at the same time, and I think this is what bothers me quite a bit about the show's decision to make Mia Black and add this extra layer of racial tension, is that it then sort of puts the what the the racial issues of this adoption case on the back burner. Yes. Like, when we talk about race in America, it's almost always mm-hmm. black and white, right? Yep. And this is one of the this is an author and one of the yes. books that's taking it on from a different, um, totally, totally different perspective. And the, the, it's why I'm glad Celeste Ng chose not to make, you know, um, Mia or Pearl people of color in the, in the book, because to me, it gets at a different discussion and it's, it's often a more nuanced discussion, right? When we're talking about white and Asian, because they're, the class disparities are not generally as marked. And the and let's be real, we don't talk about like the oppression of Asian peoples in this country nearly enough. Right. Like we don't talk about interning the Japanese after I'm at Pearl Harbor. Like I mean, there are so many instances of terrible racism being mm-hmm. conducted against Asian people in this country that you know we just historically do not talk about. I certainly didn't learn about anything like that in school. It's something that you have to kind of go far afield to understand. And I completely agree with you, Teresa. Like, that quote saying, oh, Shaker's so liberal because it segregated Mm -hmm. quickly, like, completely denies the fact that there is this underbelly of racism present. Whether you are actively, like, trying to perpetuate racism or not, like, we're all 
subject to this. Right. And I think that the racism, that the casual racism against Asians in this country is something that has gone on really without much conversation. And this book was one of the first times I, I know it's probably my own fault that I haven't read more by Asian American authors, but it really made me think about that for the first time in a, in a critical way. And the show just didn't really care about that. It, it, you know, BB could have just been any, any race, any anything. And that scene in the book when Ed Lim, the uh, attorney, talks about the fortune cookies and uh, you only, and in the book he talks about how there's only one Chinese restaurant in town. And they're like, oh yeah, well she really likes noodles, so she must be Asian. I mean, it, it was so much more powerful and I was so much more disgusted in that moment. And it was kind of glossed over in the show. It was like, yeah, you did the fortune cookie thing, that was bad, but. It- yeah, it was really only the courtroom scene where we got that, right? And, and I also think it's just because the questions around race around Asian American people are so much more nuanced, right? It's not yep. like about police harassment right. and um, being being forced into bad schools or you know a- any of the like hugely systemic things around no. black white relations. Um, so it's it's almost a more interesting it's a more interesting way into talking about the racism that liberal white people like to pretend doesn't exist and like to pretend like i'm super woke but actually i'm perpetuating these stereotypes oh you know it's as simple as being like well all Mm -hmm. asians are super smart like that's Mm -hmm. a racist statement like anytime you say stuff like that that is racism (laughs) like it's just because it's a compliment doesn't mean it's racist or if you don't think it exists racism exists towards asian people or whatever or it's like well your problems aren't as big as it is aren't as big as they are for the black community so yep. could you just stop complaining you and know, fetishizing I, certain elements of culture like I wish that it's mm-hmm. you know for all these 90s references where were the chopsticks I used to wear yeah. stupid chopsticks hair. in my hair like yeah. I mean like that was such a trend and like what an interesting thing they could have signified and talked about and how the 90s appropriated and fetishized elements of Asian culture without actually like taking the time to understand the Asian experience in America like that was something that was a huge part of the 90s was appropriating that kind of stuff and they could have gone there. So you're going to go all these other places, but not there. Like, that's, I, I just mm-hmm. don't understand it. I told you, and the, the like, Mandarin collar dresses. I had, like, the, silk the formal. coated Claire's mm-hmm. chopsticks that used to go on my little messy bun. Like, <laughs> the worst kind of person. I could never make chopsticks work. My hair's too heavy or something. I don't know what's wrong with it. Or I couldn't I make know. them work either. Please. <laughs> it didn't look good. It was a bad look. I didn't look good. Oh, I... I was able to do that. I feel like that was that was like the heyday for me actually knowing how to do hair. I did the like little half up, half down with the two chopsticks and then you had like the pieces in the front. I was like killing it in the 90s. I really knew what I was doing. I feel like it's all been downhill for me ever since. Like, and Well, it's a good thing you've got just like a team of gay managers. Well, yeah, yeah. I was forced to have to go into an industry like that because I didn't know. If it was up to me, I'd still be wearing those chopsticks. <laughs> So we're sort of at this at this next question already. So I want to the question is, you know, the story takes place in the 90s. Do you think the story would play out differently now? And I want to talk about that in terms of the the BB case, but also, you know, like would Izzy be as misunderstood now? Would No. Izzy would be shamed for not being gayer. Yeah. <laughs> like they'd all be shamed for being heterosexual children now in the year 2020. 
Oh God! Um, no, if they were in the year yeah, twenty twenty, they'd like, all be like stuck in their house. I mean, it's actively um, true. Lexi would be accused of being basic every day, and no one would like yeah. her. Yes, yeah. Lexi would be the Izzy of this narrative because mm-hmm. she was too basic. She's like, but I just want to watch Days of Our Lives. It's like, oh God, what a basic yeah. bitch. <laughs> Izzy would be ruling the school. Moody would be dating Pearl. Pearl would have no time mm-hmm. for Trip. Like, Trip would be canceled. She would, yeah, yeah. She would definitely accuse Trip of like sexual assault at some point. Like, it, she yep. would be like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't consent to this. Mia would be running off. around wearing a pussy hat and like trying to organize more <laughs> women's marches and hashtag Me Too's mm-hmm. and things like that. Like, I will straight up take Mia's energy, though, right now. If we can get that, like, her anger and energy, like, yeah. to get people out to the polls, mm-hmm. I'd be down with that. And actually, I feel like Elena and Mia would have bonded over that, because Elena would have been... Yeah! Like, give me the spinoff of the two of them trying yeah. to take down Trump in 2020, and I'm here for it. Like, that I'd yeah. be about. <laughs> like, could you see the two of them on, like, a, a mommy, like, oh, Democrat Facebook page where they're, like, <laughs> or, like... Organizing bake sales to bring down Trump because I can. I can see that. So um, also while researching some of these questions, I came upon some quotes and some random stuff that I wanted to I wanted to talk about. So I found one quote that's from um, Celeste Ang that says motherhood seems to be a no win battle. However, you decide to do it or not do it. It's set. Someone's going to be criticizing you. True. But do you think the book does a good job of depicting that hmm i think it doesn't deal with it as explicitly as the television show does like the you know with the whole the flashbacks with elena and the kids and the question of you know being a working mom and Mm -hmm. all of that stress like i think the show definitely tries to address that more and i think that's also at the heart of big little lies like what it means what kind of mother's a good mother? I mean, I think Renata's got a quote about that, that all of the stay-at-home moms are always up on her shit because she's a working mom. And I think that I can see why they wanted to lean into it more than the book did. But I don't think this was necessarily as much of a question in the 90s. Like, I don't think 90s mothers were, were as obsessed with this idea of understanding their own motherhood than we are now, where everything is so reflexive and we're constantly having conversation about, you know, don't shame moms, any type of motherhood is good, which obviously is all great, but I don't think anyone was really having that conversation in the 90s. No, I, I think that, um, I mean, I, I think like the first time I really heard a lot of talk about like motherhood was like the tiger mom stuff. Like, and that came out, that was, like, the late 90s, right? Where everyone was... Yeah, and, like, helicopter parents. That was, like, that early, like, 2000 college boom thing. But I think that... Uh, <laughs> I, I think that in the book, it's not so much as a, of a criticism of motherhood, of different kinds of motherhood, as it is an observation. Much how, like, yeah. Leah's art The is whole like, book is that way. It's just observational yeah, as opposed to, like, let's make a comment. Like, exactly. Like, you can deduce your own yeah. uh, as to who you relate to and what kind of family you related to having and what kind you might have now and, you know, sort of kind of come to your own observations, conclusions, and judgments. Whereas the show, I feel like, was very very much trying to push you into choosing a side or, you know, yeah. seeing, uh, like, looking at motherhood as being that all motherhood was a failure. Like, it, the show almost, it was like, everyone needs therapy in this show. In the book, it was, it was not like that at all. Like, these were not, 
uh, victims. These were all people who no. just had different experiences. There wasn't like this criticism. So the, the next question I have is at the heart of the court case in the difficult question is the difficult question of who deserves to be a mother. This is according to Celeste Ng. Do you think that's true? Like, I just, I mean, obviously she wrote it. That's what she meant. But I, I mean, this is me just being very practical, but I look at this court case and it's not about who deserves to be a mother because no one's saying BB can't go on to have another baby or Linda can't go get another, mm -hmm. ad adopt another kid or whatever. It's like, what's the best thing for this child? And to me, I think I see this and I'm like, yes, uh, BB, you probably did the right thing by giving up this baby when you were you have no support system no income no whatever and none of that has changed right like yeah. the only thing that changes is she goes in the book she goes back to china and so ostensibly she probably has a better source of income and yeah. mm -hmm. a family to back her up but if you're staying in america like had she been given the child and then just stayed in america like Gone things would have continued to be as tough yeah yeah um and so I, I just feel like that's almost a harsh way of looking at a court case like that. I don't think it's harsh. I think it's the core of the book. I think this is like, and I don't think anyone has the answer to this. And that's what makes this such a compelling story. And mm -hmm. is, there is no good answer. There is no resolution. It is a case by case thing. And I don't necessarily know, having spent all of this time, these many weeks dealing with the source text, dealing with the television series, I don't have an answer. I don't feel one way or another like i think part of me when i was reading the book was always rooting for bb and then i carried that over into the television show but then the more i think about it and i think about the best interest of the child i don't know and then it also having the attitude that she immediately should go to bb because bb wants her back completely delegitimizes adoptive parents and and parents that are just as much a parent it's about who loves you not who gave birth to you i think we can all agree on that mm -hmm. i I think that's what made the book so compelling is that I finished that book not really knowing where, how yeah. I should feel about it, where the kid was supposed to go. I didn't necessarily feel great that the kid was with BB. I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't have felt great if she had just stayed with the McCulloughs. Like, I, I don't think there's a correct answer. I, we did a poll on this and people mm -hmm. were very divided as to whether it was the, a good resolution or a bad resolution. And I think that's the strength of the book is that it doesn't tie it up in a bow and say, like, this is right, this is wrong. It's well, because like, there is no right and wrong. Exactly. No, you should feel uncomfortable with this question. Like, we should all feel mm -hmm. like this is not an easy thing to answer and there is no clear-cut answer. And I think that's, to uh, Joshua Jackson's credit, what he was trying to, like, bring to those final episodes as the lawyer who's supposed to be as objective as anyone, he was starting to doubt it. And in going back and revisiting the book, I found something kind of interesting, and that was that when she uh, takes the baby back from the McCullough, steals the baby, she is being driven in a BMW, and that's also noted as the car that uh, Bill drives. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Oh, if they, they oh don't really? I yeah. totally missed that. They don't explicitly say it was Bill, but they do explicitly say it was a BMW. Interesting. And, they also, and I think that would be interesting to have both, you know, because our other candidate would be Ed, but no, there's no mention mm -hmm. of his car before that, and I think it would be odd to just... Mm -hmm have it be coincidence that both drove BMWs and not mention that. So I think the implication from a literary standpoint is that it was Bill. Yeah. And I think the book also gives a little bit more hints to, yeah. to let us know that Bill is now sort of reconsidering. Yeah. Right. 
So the fact that, you know, the, the prosecuting attorney is not able to come up with a, a correct way to feel after this. Like, I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's got every reason in the world to be supporting the McCulloughs and, and see it only from their point of view. And yet he can't even do that. So, of course, as viewers and readers, we're supposed to kind of be uncomfortable by this. And, and to let the viewer, reader, whatever, sit with that feeling of uncomfortableness is what I think a lot of the times American adaptations don't want to do. Like, they want to have mm -hmm. resolution, they want you to feel some type of way and they have to telegraph the way you're supposed to feel. And what I loved about this book was that it, you were kind of left with that like soul searching ambiguity. Like I don't, am I feeling the right way about this? Like do mm -hmm. other people feel differently? Am I a bad person? Am I a good person? Like I, that's what literature is supposed to do. It's supposed to call into question your beliefs and your thought process and question it and poke holes in it and make you deal with when it. When it challenges you and keeps you in that world, even yeah. after you've finished mm -hmm. it, where you have that time where you're still kind of lingering there and working through things and, and totally. reflecting, like that's that that's exactly that's literature that's like the difference between you know like a book and and a book that is really truly literature like of merit but the show could have leaned into that it could have leaned into the literary qualities it could have pulled back it could have left the viewer with more uncertainty and it could have leaned into the sense of you know how uncomfortable all of this was and it didn't it just wanted to use a heavy-fisted Blow. The show left and me with nothing really that I needed to reflect upon. Uh, no. I was I was actually just glad it was over. Um, I didn't have these like lingering questions, and I I didn't have, you know, when you finish a book and you're kind of you're sad that it's over. Or when you finish yeah. a series that you love, it's like when Big feeling. Little Lies ended, I felt yeah. sad. I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna like see these people. Uh, for good, bad, or ugly, like, I still was really invested yep. in it. And this show, I was just like, oh, thank God, like, I can turn this off. <laughs> it, it also didn't leave you, and even if you don't like the characters or you didn't like the show, some shows, like, leave you with a lot to think about. Like, you're still, you're still yep. chewing on them when they're done. And this didn't do that with the show. But the book did no. leave me with, it, it challenged, it, it, it left you with some challenging conflicts to, to, think about and to you know when you come upon situations like that in your own life like you'll see things a little differently so one of the other questions I sort of have is about Izzy and Mia and as I was going through questions for this and kind of preparing I started thinking of them as sort of the woke voices of today in the show mm -hmm. Izzy tells Moody she's not entitled to Pearl just because he likes her which I definitely thought while reading the book but no one says that to him and then in the show Mia also uses the word problematic, which is very much a, you know, mm -hmm. something we say in maybe the past five years or so. Um, and so it feels like they're almost like our narrator. Narrators aren't quite the right words. They're like the little, like, woke angels of today telling us what's wrong with the what what was happening in the 90s or something, you know. I'm wondering if after reading the book or returning to the book in Rebecca's case, um, if you felt the same way. Like, again, I have to reiterate that the book really stuck in the period much more. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously felt that, um, if anything, the book does a good job of balancing who our narrators are and whose vantage point we're mm -hmm. getting. Yeah, I mean, Celeste Ng moves seamlessly from one perspective yeah. to Which the next. Which is why like, when, 
when Rebecca said, or you said that the show, it would have been, I think it was you, Teresa, actually, it said that the show should have mm-hmm. had like a different perspective in each episode. It would have been great. And I agree mm-hmm. based on how the book was done, because that is part of the craftiness of this writing is that it does move seamlessly from giving us uh, a different narrator, like almost even sometimes from paragraph to paragraph, you kind of get to float mm-hmm. in between all these characters. You get this sort of uh, like bird's eye view, which is so effective in this novel that it's kind of all about this like observation. Yeah, I thought that we lacked a central point of view in the television show. And I was looking for that, whereas in the book, even though you don't really have like a singular figure you're anchored to, I didn't miss it at all because it it flowed so seamlessly between each character. And it felt almost like a stream of consciousness sometimes Mm -hmm. between the thoughts of the characters. Mm -hmm. And I missed that in the television show. I felt like if they weren't going to, I mean, I think it would be very difficult to replicate that with a television show, to be sure. But I think to, you know... Teresa's point, like if they had just picked a perspective and had each episode be from that character's point of view and then cycled through the characters for, you know, eight, ten episodes, that would have been much more effective than sort of leaving us without a rudder. I feel almost stupid even asking this question at this point, but um, to sum up, do you suggest people interested in the story read the book or watch the show? Hell yes. (laughs) Fucking read this book. Like, even if you hated this show, which I clearly really strongly disliked it (laughs) you the book has so much Mm -hmm. more merit beyond it is the the writing alone is exquisite even if you don't like the story and have no interest in hearing any more about this story it's worth reading just because she is a beautiful subtle i mean talk about a less is more writer that's able to conjure all the feelings without having to be flowery overblown or long-winded it's a short book Mm -hmm. you can read it very quickly it carries you through for each chapter without Mm -hmm. being manipulative it's not an emotionally manipulative book which is my biggest pet peeves with you know yeah and it's so thought-provoking Yep. And engaging, like Rebecca said. I mean, it really is the kind of book, like if I was an educator, I would consider utilizing this in a classroom setting um, because there is so much it has to offer. From I was actually thinking, like, in a way, you could classify this as a YA novel because it yeah. does have so much perspective from the teens and it's not like it's inappropriate for a young person to read. Uh, if I was a high school teacher, I would strongly want be interested in incorporating this book in part of our curriculum uh because because of the writing and because the story has so many issues that are important to teenagers and uh is relatable on so many levels so just for that for the merit of the book alone read it um and 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 it also like if you were like me and really didn't like the series this helps you get over that all right. Well, with that, I think we've concluded our discussion of the um, Little Fires Everywhere book. But we will come back next week with uh, to answer some audience questions. So if you have them, Rebecca, they can send them to you on Instagram. What is our handle? Uh, Big Little Podcast. DM us and we will feature you on our podcast. Just what you've always wanted. <laughs> Dreams coming true here. Bye.